So for the children and the children in all of us, have you ever seen anyone throw a tantrum, a temper tantrum? Mm -hmm. It's interesting, isn't it, to watch somebody get so excited or so angry or so frustrated and they do things and they say things that maybe they don't mean and then they just, I don't know, lose it all in front of whoever is watching. So sometimes we think that we might get our way if we have a temper tantrum. And I wonder if that's really true. Are we more apt to get what we need and want if we have a temper tantrum? Or are we more apt to get what we need and want if we just calmly ask or speak like we normally would speak in a conversation? Calmly, calmly ask and speak like if you were in a normal conversation. I think you're right. I would agree with you. I think sometimes a normal conversation not only gets us to focus on what we need and want, and then we express ourselves better, but it also gives us the opportunity to listen back because sometimes the answer might be not now. Sometimes the answer might be, well, that's good, but I have something better for you. Uh, I know what your need is better than you do. And sometimes um, if we listen, we learn a lot more in that interaction. So um, I think that's the same thing with prayer and with God. Sometimes we want to just be angry with God and say, how come things aren't the way I want it to be? And it's like we throw a temper tantrum with God. And what, we, what happens when when we do that is we don't hear God speaking back to us because sometimes in our prayer, if we listen carefully, God is actually helping us understand what it is that we need better. And then we can ask better for the things that we need or the things that people around us need or what the world needs. And we become wiser and better. And we know that God really does care. So that's our model maybe for a better prayer and a prayer life, not to just shout out things and have a temper tantrum with anybody and especially with God, but to ask politely with gratitude, with grace, and then also listen to what God has to say to us. So that's our prayer today. Uh, if you'll join me in this prayer, we would say together, Gracious and loving God, help us to pray to you, knowing that you are the wise one and always hear what we say, but help us to be gracious in receiving what you have to offer us as well, even if it isn't exactly what we pray for. It might be better and help us know that as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today we have this interesting gospel lesson, and I'm focusing more on the second half of the gospel of Matthew, the story of 
a Gentile or non-Jewish woman who comes to Jesus kind of having a temper tantrum. She begins to yell at him uh, to heal her beloved daughter. And so at first, Jesus gives her the silent treatment. When she persists, he remarks in her hearing that God sent him exclusively to be among the Jews. And finally, she kneels before him and pleads, and he responds, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. So here we have a picture of Jesus that somehow doesn't fit our typical understanding of who Jesus was and how he interacted with people. Um, so he's in effect calling her a dog. Um, how could Jesus be so rude and cold-hearted toward this mother who was really so distraught that she was looking for anything that would help her daughter? So we wonder, is it because she wasn't a Jew? But just three chapters before in the Gospel of Matthew, we read that Jesus' mission was outlined centuries before by the prophet Isaiah. Listen to what Isaiah wrote. The words that uh, the Gospel writer said describe Jesus. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not wrangle or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick until he brings justice to victory, and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Commentaries that write about this Gospel of Matthew in this particular story are all over the place in trying to help us understand what this interaction between Jesus and this Gentile woman was all about. Some would say that Jesus was just having a bad day. And we all understand that, right? We sometimes have a bad day. We do things and say things that really aren't typical of the way we would normally respond. Some would say that this woman really did, in her badgering him, got him to change his mind. And so that's an interesting perspective. Um, and then uh, some would say that uh, it was prejudice that was kind of systemic in that day and age about Jews and Gentiles, that when you grew up in a Jewish home and in that culture, you couldn't understand the needs of Gentiles. And so he was just speaking from what was systemic, what was culturized, uh, a part of his culture, kind of like in the conversation we have with Black Lives Matter, and people will say uh, that racism is systemic in our country, and white people particularly cannot understand it because we can't see it because we're so far removed from it, and we've accepted uh, racism as part of our culture and history of our country for generations. So, um, so maybe that's what was 
on Jesus' mind when he responded to the woman. But I don't think really that this story is about Jesus' prejudice. I don't think it's about Jesus even changing his mind. I really do think it's a story that the Canaanite woman has to teach us and offer us about prayer and how we might pray. So let me explain a little further. Jesus and the disciples had left Galilee. They traveled north to this district of Tyre and Sidon. They were in Gentile country, an area populated with the descendants of the Phoenicians, who themselves were descendants of the Canaanites. So the Gospel of Mark describes the woman in this story as a Syro-Phoenician and the Gospel of Matthew refers to her simply as a Canaanite. So we know that this woman is a Gentile, not just a Gentile, but a Phoenician. And that gets us to a little bit about, uh, into the topic of about um, uh, the dog reference. In the time of Jesus, feral dogs moved around in packs. And like they are prone to do, they would kill chickens and sheep. And the Jews, for the most part, disliked these dogs. Few, if any, dogs became pets in a Jewish home. The Phoenicians, on the other hand, adored dogs. At least they did so in the centuries leading up to Jesus. And we assume that at the time of Jesus, the Phoenicians had dogs as pets. In fact, archaeologists have uncovered in the ancient Phoenician area dog cemeteries. There's one in Ashkelon with over 700 graves of dogs. Um, and there used to be probably several thousands of graves there before the ocean eroded some of the uh, land on the western edge of the cemetery. So here was prime real estate in a major city, and it was a burial ground for thousands of dogs. There's some evidence that the Phoenicians believed that dogs could magically heal illness, and that had something to do with the fact that they were elevated in their, uh, in, in their, in their homes and in their society. So we get back to the story in Matthew. Jesus and his disciples are in Phoenician territory. The woman comes up to Jesus, starts shouting, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, it sounds at first glance that she might have been a believer, that she believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. But that may not necessarily be true. The phrase have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, was used repeatedly by those who sought healing from Jesus. And it's quite possible that this woman had learned the phrase and thought that it was kind of a magic formula, a prescribed incantation that would get Jesus to do what she wanted. We sometimes hear prayers that are little more than magic formulas given in the hope of moving God to do our bidding. In this case, however, Jesus doesn't respond. So she kept shouting these same words over and over, louder and louder. 
and the disciples began to complain about Jesus uh, uh, to Jesus about this woman's behavior. So he stated that his ministry was not to the lost sheep, but among the Jews. In other words, he was saying in her hearing that she should not presume on his generosity. She had no claim on him, none whatsoever, not even ethnic ties. So poets have always complained that Christians of that day were so busy talking to God that they didn't hearken to God. And so we sometimes um, wonder if our prayers to God aren't the same way. We maybe see God as our personal valet or our cosmic bellhop. Uh, do we presume upon God's grace whenever it's convenient for us? Do we stomp our feet in the courts of the kingdom of God and demand the Almighty do our bidding? Do we have a holy tantrum that we throw? And so suddenly she stopped barking her requests. Instead, she knelt at Jesus' feet. And then she simply said, Lord, help me. So instead of scolding this woman for her presumptuous orders, he painted a word picture dear to any Phoenician's parent's heart. He asked her if it were fair to take food from the children in order to feed the dogs. And the woman nodded and she responded because she understood that she had no claim on Jesus and no right to divert him from his mission so she simply whispered, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. So now all of a sudden in this prayer exchange, the spiritual mood has changed. She's not shouting. There's no more magic formula or incessant pleading. Just a quiet request for grace undeserved kindness for healing that comes not because you use the right words, but because it's a fervent prayer, a humble prayer, a contrite prayer from a heart that seeks undeserved love from God. Then he says, woman, great is your faith. And her daughter was healed. So I wonder if that doesn't help us formulate <clears throat> a system and a model for prayer when we feel like we want to throw a tantrum and need God to do things our way, but maybe it helps us take a step back and find not always the right words, but words that come from a humble and contrite heart, seeking God's grace for what we need in our life. Maybe her example in prayer is a model of prayer for us. Amen.